Welcome to another episode where we talk about workshop conferences, iPadOS, Catalyst, and a couple of really interesting project picks. Welcome to Country Variants, a podcast about Apple, programming, and other related things. Good morning, Benedict. Good morning, Bas. How are you doing today? Good. I just bought a fresh coffee. Um, and I'm ready to start into the day and start it with a podcast recording. And you can't do that without coffee? No, I can't do that without coffee. All right. I'm still pretty much on caffeine. On caffeine? Yeah. Like since what or since when or how? Uh, I, I, I started drinking caffeine again, I think, half a year now. Uh, one year ago and half a year ago it went serious. Like one year ago it was like, let's say, one espresso a day. But now I'm in different territory, where it means that <laughs> when I don't drink coffee for a day, I get the terrible headache. Oh, that sucks. Like, yeah. I've never had that, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, but no. let's not dwell too much yes. in, on coffee again. I, I think there's another podcast that dwells on coffee. Yeah, it's Swift over coffee. And Swift. Yeah, yeah. So let's not go too deep into that. Yeah. So um, talking about Swift over coffee, we were on a conference. Yes, we like, were, like we never do. No, like we never do. So we were at one together. We were at the uh, Swift Island on the beautiful Dutch island of Tessel. Yes, it was mm. amazing. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before that I spent basically all my use in Tessel or on Tessel. And so it was... It was really interesting for me to come back after roughly 25 years of having not been there and see the island again. And that was also very emotional and so on. But apart from that, the island was still very nice and the conference was really, really good. I was also there after not being there for 23 years, but that's because I've never been there. <laughs> right. It was the first time. Yeah. Did you, did you like the island? It was It was really cool. Um, like the, the whole conference was amazing, but... Uh, then we had our speaker dinner on Thursday, right? Mm -hmm. So the conference was on Wednesday and Thursday and we had our other dinner. And then I came up with the idea of like, hey, let's, you know, let's grab the bikes because like there were like bikes for every uh, attendee um, and like make a short tour because the weather is amazing uh, and it's super like a super cool island. Let's let's go cycling for a bit. Uh, so we did that and we saw like, a part of the island went uh, uh, cycling past the uh, like the sea and the dikes, and we went to the beach, and it was it was really cool. And there was a lighthouse, and there was a lighthouse yeah, as which well. Is what the island is famous for, also, and um, yeah, you saw the lighthouse up close. And the lighthouse is also uh, maybe a short hop to Swift Avero, which was another conference that I've been to. And that also has a lighthouse in Avero. Uh, right. That is even the logo of the conference itself. Because Avero is a small Dutch fisher, not a village, but the fishing city uh, close to Porto. Well, I don't think it's Dutch. Uh, no, that's Portuguese, boy. <laughs> See, that's why I need the coffee in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, and that's that's a similar conference to Swift Island, where both of these conferences are uh, inspired by the Swift Alps, Yeah, um, which is focused on workshops. So the, the, the entire the, the conference basically works in that it has 
or these types of conferences, they have very few attendees, roughly around 60. And then you have around three workshops going on at the same time. Sometimes it's four. It depends on the conference. Uh, As an attendee, you can pick which workshop you want to go to. And if you don't get into the workshop, because there should only be 10 to 15 people in the workshop, because otherwise it's tricky for a mentor to give a workshop if there are so many people. So if you don't get in, you can just get in in the next slot, because each each workshop will be repeated three times. So if there's a workshop on SwiftUI and you really want to see that workshop um, and you don't get it in the get in in the first um, slot you can just write in the second or in the third um, and all these conferences work similarly and there's finally as you mentioned also the swift alps and they are the ones that invented this concept uh, and i've been to all three i've been to swift alps to avero and to swift islands so i can compare and i have to say they are all equally good so um, and they are all in very different places kind of although avero and tessel are very similar in that it's a bit beachy um, but it's still it's still different, and it, it's a very different feeling also. Yeah, and for me, something I didn't necessarily realize, um, but having mentored at Swift Island and going <clears throat> going to Swift Avero before that, um, it wasn't only about attending the the workshops and uh, seeing what to learn there, but also learning from the workshops, like the format the workshops were given in. Mm-hmm. And there were some really amazing workshops, both at uh, Avero and Swift Island. So I'm super happy to have been to both. Um, and yeah, now now we're back. And there's there's two things I would additionally like to mention. The one is that because there are only 60 people, chances are very high that on these conferences you talk to everybody. Like when you go to a normal conference, there are so many people you may to talk to some people. But at these conferences, you are also... They try to set you up in pairs so that when you sit down in the workshops, you might sit next to somebody you don't know and then you work together with them on the workshop. So you meet a lot of new people and you make new friends. That's awesome. Um, that's one of the reasons why you should go to these conferences. It's really cool. And But the other one, uh, the other tips I have is that if you go there um, and you wonder, um, you want to enter a workshop, try the second slot. Because the first time a mentor gives a workshop, usually some things may not work out perfectly and then he fixes that You're re- uh, at the end of the first slot and then in the second slot, the workshop is perfect. Well, perfect. Yeah, but but better. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. Buzz, do you have any personal projects that you're working on currently? Um, not really. I'm still working on a project that I'm giving a talk on at SwiftConf in mm-hmm. end of August. And that's uh, based on algorithms and puzzle solving. Mm-hmm. So I'm still working, working out the final things. And that's a lot of fun. And I'm super looking forward to giving that talk. Um, but other than that, like mostly I'm busy uh, doing Swift Weekly Brief uh, with the Rewender Lake and, and other things. So I'm not really doing too much programming outside of work okay i um i started i recently launched relaunched my recently i think more than half a year ago i i recently uh, i relaunched my website adventure.me where i have all these guides and, and blog posts and when i relaunched it um i wanted it to to run in a specific format and i couldn't really find a good static site generator that supported this format and 
I had a couple of requirements that I felt uh, kind of unique uh, to what, what I was doing. And also I felt the urge to, I've, I've written a couple of static site generators myself over the years, so I felt the urge to do this again. Um, and the old one that I had was really slow. I had also written that myself um, based on an open source code base, and it was really slow. It took forever. It took like six minutes to to render the, um, the adventure code base. So the new one is really fast. It takes 20 seconds to render the whole code base. Um, and it has live, live reload built in. So I can start typing on a post, and then it will basically um, figure out that I'm writing something, and then um, then it will update automatically the browser that I'm running, be it Chrome or Firefox, and I'm using WebSockets for that. So it will just... Over the WebSocket tell with JavaScript, the, the Firefox, hey, this thing changed, please reload yourself. And then it's doing that and it's reloading. And that while I was implementing the, the static site generator, that worked great because I could, for a simple test website that they had with four posts, I could just write and it would update itself. Perfect. Um, the problem is Adventure has a ton of posts, so I have a lot of content in there. And currently, when I'm writing a new post, it's basically re-rendering everything. Each time I write a small character because... It, it is written, it is so fast that re-rendering was fine for me, but it's not working anymore. So now I have this live reload, but can't use it because it's not live anymore. It takes 20 seconds. That, of course, is madness. So I started on incremental building. So now I'm trying to implement a build process where it's trying to figure out, okay, only this post change it, change on, and just reload that and then try to figure out. Um, I'm not working on dependencies yet because that would be very difficult. Um, but just so that I can say, okay, I only want this post to re-render and not the whole website and but that's a bit trickier than i thought because of some the data structure that i choose to to represent the whole website is actually not fit for that and so it, it turns out to be a bigger task than i, than I wanted um which sucks because um i wanted to get this done quickly so that i'm currently busy, busy with my own static site generator and uh, yeah and build system then basically yes, right like build system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it, it it started as a three-day hackathon where i said okay i just need a very simple site generator with with live reload and it was working after three days it did most of what i wanted but then i started on piling on features and now <laughs> it's become this huge beats of the, i mean it is built in search and um it has custom markdown extensions, so I, I can have additional markdown syntax to enable me to do certain things that I do a lot that makes it easy. Um, and it allows you to do syntax highlighting in a, in a JavaScript-free way. So it, it does syntax highlighting and then inserts HTML brackets for the syntax, and then I can just use a style sheet to highlight, and then it's um, light mode and dark mode friendly and so on. So there's a lot of cool stuff, but all that complexity now makes refactoring a bit difficult. Yeah, but at the same time, it should be like an interesting challenge to figure out how to refactor it and learn from it, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's cool. Um, what uh, language is it written in? It's written in Rust. Okay, cool. And I don't know, I don't think John Sandell has open sourced it yet, no. but he's also been working on a static site generator. Yeah, he's he's working on one in Swift. I think they follow very similar goals. And uh, I remember when I talked to him when he started on his, which was also the time when I... Uh, had just started on mine, kind of, um, but in a, I had to rewrite it a couple of times. Maybe we should figure out if we can talk about uh, the static site generators with him. Yeah, we can. We can maybe once once he open sources and he wants to talk about that, we can we can do that. Would be cool. Yeah. Nice, because I think also uh, John and uh, John Sundell and Paul Hudson uh, um, and some others, uh, Katarina. And uh, Erica Sadun also like recorded a podcast uh, at Swift Island. Uh, I think they talked about Swift UI. Yeah. Uh, so that's also really cool that, it, that people are you know doing podcasts uh, with other people and 
Yeah, and it, seeing that come to fruition is really, really nice. It was for the Swift Community podcast, right? Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. So let's dive into iPadOS. Right. So we already talked about iPadOS briefly in the last episode, but we wanted to talk a bit more about the windowing support, right? Yeah, so um, I gave workshop. Hmm? As, as we now I, know, I do workshop. I, I gave a workshop at uh, at Swift Island, and uh, it was on iPadOS. And I mostly focused on uh, multiple window or multiple scene, uh, to to be precise, support. And what that it, what that allows you to do is simply, uh, just like we saw in Safari in in iOS twelve already, is it lets you uh, use your own app. Um, and run it side by side. So you can run your app in two scenes. Uh, so on the left, on the right of the iPad, and even like on top. Um, and instead of having, you know, one app running, you can have multiple scenes of your app running around the whole uh, system. And why this is really cool is it's not just like two of the same apps running side by side. I mean, yeah, sure, it's the same app, um, but you can like, create different scenes, different parts of the app and spawn them on on another uh, part of the system. So one good example or one example where this is really useful is if you have an app that has some kind of messaging uh, service is then you can just, you know, have a part like just a messenger part or just one chat with somebody open while browsing the rest of the app as well. So it allows for some really interesting, uh, like powerful uh, usage of iPad mm. um, and what is also really nice is that this is really neatly integrated with drag and drop um, as well as it's a nice layer between uh, your like UI screen and UI window so it's a rather straightforward API I would say I mean there's still a lot a lot to figure out there's it's still in beta there's still like bugs or at least things we I thought were bugs um, no, they, they are still bugs. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's some really interesting, uh, a really interesting new way of looking at the iPad, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what apps will do there. Mm -hmm. I I also played around with it. I have I also have iPadOS the beta on my iPad, and uh, what what I like is the ability to take a certain task for apps that support it for, to take a certain task out of the app into its separate window, like you said, with the messenger. Um, I, in general, I also like that it has multi-window support. That So beforehand, um, you could uh, there was no way to have multiple windows for one app. And even if they're all the same, for Safari, for example, on my Mac, I always have like 12 Safari windows open, and each of them has 33 tabs. And um, it, I couldn't do that on iPad, so I always would run into the tab limit on, on iPad because you can only have 255 tabs, I think, on an... Uh, <laughs> On, on a single window. You you and I are very different. <laughs> um, but now I can just open a new window and then I have two windows and then, you know, the amount of tabs double. So it's very nice. I'm not sure if there's a limit to windows. I will soon run into that, I guess. And then I'll have more information. Um, no, it, it is nice. What I'm currently struggling with, um, a lot of this, these features are fantastic, but you can only use them with these gestures. And I feel some of them are kind of tricky to do. Like if you want to see an overview of all the windows, you have to swipe up to see the dock, like this this weird swipe only a little bit, and then tap once on the icon of the active app that you're working on. 
um, this swiping up a little bit, I sometimes swipe too far, I sometimes swipe not enough, so it takes a bit of time to get it right. But then also um, the icon of the currently active app is not highlighted in the dock. Now, I, you have to know what the app is. Now, obviously, you would say, well, you know, when you're Safari, right? Of course. But sometimes you're th thinking about something else and there's no indication to tell you which icon to tap on. So it takes another fraction of a second to figure out, oh, yeah, that's why I have to tap. So and there are lots of small issues like that. And what's even worse is that this dock doesn't like always show the app that you're running or the apps that you're running. So it might even be that you have to go to the home screen and it's, yeah, I have a few gripes with it as yeah, well. Yeah, so it's not perfect. Um, but like all in all, I think it's really great and I'm looking forward to see where iPad goes next. I still feel like iPad OS is like a bit overblown if mm. we look at what was introduced, mm. but you know, you never know. Yeah, maybe I hope that it's the first step into something more coming over the next couple of dub-dubs where um, there's something here, improved mouse support, um, improved multitasking support, stuff like that, where they they figure out what makes it difficult right now and then with future releases they make it easier. That's, we've seen that before. Like there's some, something is difficult to use then at some point it gets easier even on the code side. Yeah. Core data, it started, it was very difficult to use. You had to set up these complex stacks in order to use it and now it's just three lines of code to set up a stack with everything. So so they, they improve over time. So right. let's, let's hope this is also where it goes. Yeah, fingers crossed. But um, having said that, it's not like I still don't really see iPadOS. iPadOS is still uh, a requirement also for Catalyst, right? Yeah. And we've been talking about multiple windows and you were talking about multiple windows on, on Mac. So that's definitely something like Mac users are going to expect and want. Yeah. Um, so that's also like, and it makes sense that that's also how it works, right? You will have to support iPadOS. Uh, support multiple windows and then you can port that over to to the mac yeah and i think you know a bit more about that yeah let's let's dive into the next topic um so i gave my workshop on catalyst so that means that the past two weeks i spent a lot of time understanding how it works where the limits are how to do what um, which bugs it currently has and so to um Put that all together, I wrote a very lengthy guide called the Ultimate Catalyst Guide um, on my blog, Adventure.me. We will link it to the show notes where I have all these details. Um, but just as a general overview, I like it a lot. So I'm, a, I'm also an AppKit developer. I, I wrote a lot of macOS apps over the years. I, I, I saw them on the store. I made money with macOS apps. I like AppKit. Um, what I like about UIKit is it's much more refined. So I would even say that um, AppKit is more low level than UIKit and people might hate me for that but a lot of the things you have to cumbersomely kind of define in AppKit um, and it's gotten better over the years Yes. I, I remember trying to put a background on a view <laughs> that's the <laughs> and, classic example and of then course. wasting about a day that's the classic example but, I mean, it has been re more refined over the years, but if we take AppKit from, let's say, 2006 um, and UIKit from 2008 or nine, or let's say take both from 2010, then um, then UIKit was much more refined. AppKit App from 2006, meaning the documentation from now? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> no, they, they, they added a couple of things, but they are not very well documented. Um, but you can do, you're a bit more refined in what you uh, what you can do in your iKit, but also AppKit allows you to, to, to do more complex things that you can't even do on your iKit. And um, that that's fine because it makes it easier because your iKit feels more structured. So it actually, I, I feel there might be people that start writing a new Mac app 
solely new iKit with never uh, even thinking about releasing it on iPadOS just because it's they already know new iKit and it's a bit easier to do it in new iKit. They don't have to learn AppKit. So there might be people who say, well, it, there's no need for this app on iPad. Uh, I only need it on the Mac, but nevertheless, I'll write it in new iKit. I think this will happen um, because it's nice. Um. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Yeah. I mean, that that sounds logical where, especially also for, for companies having difficulties getting macOS developers, which yeah. I, I feel is a, is a real problem. Um, going forward, I think there's going to be a lot more uh, developers that know UIKit. Yeah. And if that's enough for for their uh, for their web app, especially like, you know, what are they competing against? The Electron. I think it's a rather like mm. doable uh, thing. So I feel it's a great technology. Nevertheless, it's not there yet. I mean, you've you've probably tried the the couple of uh, catalogs apps that Apple has, and they have their rings. And uh, one of the things that is still very beta is multi window support. So one thing that many people complained about when the um, catalyst apps came out was that. Um, last year was that they only had one window. And the reason for that, of course, is that iPad OS had or iOS had no notion of a window. So they worked hard the whole year to add multi-window support to iPad OS so that the Catalyst apps could also have multiple windows. That's why the Apple examples also don't have multi-window support yet, even the current ones, because it's just being added to iPad OS. What, what are the current ones, by the way? Are there any new Catalyst apps? Um, I think podcasts and, podcast. and music, right? Podcast, news... No, music is not. Music is still AppKit. It's still Carbon, actually. Um, no, it's um, podcast news, voice memos, and stocks. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the ones from last year plus, plus podcast. Podcasts, yeah, and podcast is a nice app. It's it's pretty good. Um, you can you can try it out and listen to a certain podcasts. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. I can do that. Uh, I did that obviously um, as a test. Um, but the problem with the multi-window support is it's not very good yet. So on the Mac, for example. You want to have maybe multiple windows with different contents, but also different height. So on the iPad, um, the way it works is when you have two windows, the windows are full-sized. It's the iPad screen. But then if the user wants to resize it, obviously, the window resizes to the different uh, size. Now on macOS, if you open an additional window in your app, like if it's an AppKit app, you can tell it what kind of size it should have. You can't do that on the Catalyst. So if you open, open a second window, it will always have, have this weird size, which is kind of close to an iPad mini, I think, or to a normal iPad size screen. And there's no way to change that yet. And um, there are many small things that, that don't work yet, like the um, you have the toolbar on, on macOS windows at the top, and th th there's support for that, but a lot of the things in there don't work very well yet. Um, the only thing that works really well, that's very integrated very well, is the touch bar. Touch bar works great. There's a lot of support for touch bar, and also it, it's a funny coincidence, but the documentation for the touch bar, if you want to do touch bar support on macOS, is some of the best documentation Apple has written in a long time. I'm sure people are really happy that that works really well. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the things you get no documentation at all, and you have to read the headers, and maybe you have to run a debugger to figure out what's happening. No documentation at all, but for that touch bar thing, they have fantastic documentation. The touch bar. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, another thing that people might run into now that people will in run into is that if you have third-party SDKs for tracking, for advertising, for all the stuff, like the stuff that marketing pushes you to use you, that you don't want to use, 
for a Catalyst app, um, you need a new version of that and you build with a different build target. So until, let's say, you're using AdWords SDK, until Google has a new version that is also built for, um, for Catalyst, um, you can't actually use that SDK in your Catalyst app. So if you have a, a weird SDK from a company that's technically not very good, but some are good at marketing and uh, so you have to use it, um, then you might, it might take some time until they get an update for you. And in the worst case, maybe you just have to if dev it out on your, um, iPad, on your macOS target. Yeah, actually, like during your workshop, I was working together with uh, Antoine van der Lee, and he was working on the the WeTransfer app. He works at WeTransfer, and we looked at that and tried to convert that to Catalyst. And it was a lot of figuring out like what to uh, just not like what code not to run and how to compile all the other libraries that were by default like some were by default compiled for Mac, hmm. and then that didn't work because you had to compile them for iOS and then uh, add them. But that was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot there. And that, that is even for that was for open source, like for where you have the source code libraries. But if you have closed source, there's nothing you can do. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a binary blob, and you have to wait for them to to support it. Um, Apple has a new um, framework target called XC Framework, and that basically is a framework that contains it's like a fat binary. It contains all the different. It's one framework that is that supports all the different uh, targets, and that's supposedly the one to use if you want to do the uh, to use these kinds of um, frameworks in the future um, but obviously your SDK um, companies first have to support this and we don't know when that's going to happen I mean the same with like supporting Swift UI supporting Catalyst is probably going to take a bit longer yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, if let's say you're um, you're using AdWords, if AdWords doesn't support SwiftUI, you can still use it in your app. Of but, course. But if it doesn't use Catalyst, you can't use it. So it's a bit more complicated. But um, I'm, I'm really looking forward also to, you know, seeing uh, Catalina come out and then mm. see what kind of Catalyst apps we're, we're, we're going to see. Yeah. And how they, you know, how they feel and how, because I still don't really have a good idea of like what a cat what a good catalyst app can do mm. and how that would feel compared to another app mm. and i'm actually super excited about trying those kind of things out yeah i'm also i was thinking about writing an app in catalyst for the mac as i said before instead of AppKit, just to um just to see what what can be done if you really go to the extreme um, there's also the it's also possible to run AppKit specific code within your Catalyst app by by compiling it into a bundle and, and loading the bundle at runtime. It's actually not that difficult. Um, I didn't do it in my workshop. I also didn't. It's not in my guide yet, um, but it's something I also want to add because then you can access all the stuff that AppKit offers. And so for some parts of your app, you can actually do something very AppKitty um, and backwards specific. That that. It only obviously runs on on macOS then, but it's still nice for some dialogues, for example, to to um, be to have two versions of them. That's great. Sounds like the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. Sounds, yeah. sounds almost too good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So over the last few weeks, have you seen any cool projects that you want to maybe highlight? Yes. So um, we a couple of episodes ago we talked about refactoring. We did. We talked about refactoring and doing an hour exact. Right. So and I was contacted by a listener and they have a startup. It's called Bismuth. And we obviously add it to the show notes. And they have something, they have a, a service that you can add to your um, continuous delivery cycle that um, does predictable refactoring. Um, 
it does a variety of things. One of them, it is a it has a dependency structure matrix um, where you um, can determine before the impact of a change. Uh, you can determine the impact of a change before making it to to see what dependencies are affected. You automatically get a really nice dependency graph. Um, it has some sort of visual diff to see um, how pull requests affect your code base. And what I like the most actually is something called structure violations, where you can define the architecture of your app. And then when somebody commits code that doesn't follow the architecture, you, there will be a violation. So it sounds really interesting. Um, and I guess it's a great... I, I looked at the website. We, I, we didn't try it yet, but I just, I just like that a startup is going into this into this uh, area of, of trying to help with refactoring because we are doing a lot of refactoring here. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, the only downside is that it doesn't support Objective-C. It's Swift only. Um, it might still be interesting because if most of your new code is written in Swift, then it's fine that your Objective-C maybe is not supported, but you can still see that if somebody doesn't follow your architecture, for example, uh, you can still you can still see that. So uh, that's it's not entirely bad. So it's, it's still inter- interesting. And I really want to look into it. Um, I haven't yet because I had no time. Um, but the what I... Gathered so far from the website and from playing around with what's available there, uh, it looks really interesting. So if you do refactoring, if you have a large scope, uh, code base, definitely look into this. It looks really cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of these kind of products coming up because, you know, yeah, we do refactoring, but everybody does refactoring and projects are growing larger and larger. And especially now with Catalyst, uh, we're going to have an app that runs on all, like everywhere. I think SwiftUI, you can use everywhere. Right, so I think this is this is getting even more important by the day, um, and I'm super excited to try out these kind of tools and and see where they can help uh, make make your life easier and and make everyone's code base better. Yeah, totally, really nice. So, what's your pick? Yeah, so I saw a website, uh, and it's called Gosh Darn Swift UI, which you might you might recognize that naming scheme uh, from blocks and, mm-hmm. and more and it's a really nice overview uh, of like tips and tricks for for swift ui uh questions and answers and especially during this time because in the beta all the error messages are really cryptic um and as for me like as a beginner i haven't really done too much with swift ui yet uh looking at this website really gave me like a good overview of like hey what can i expect where can it uh where can i expect problems um plus all the answer to those problems. So it's really nice. It looks like a really nice resource. If you're starting out with SwiftUI, uh, to have that on the site and to, you know, be your your fix fix it basically for your error messages. So that's really cool that, that somebody looked into that. Uh, and it's open source and they have a change log so you can see what's being added, what's being removed. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great resource. Yeah, that looks really cool. All right then I would say that's it for today. Yeah, that's it for today. And it was nice to podcast again after a while and looking forward to the next one. Also because I don't think any of the two of us is is doing any long-term traveling for the next week. So I think the next couple of weeks we actually are on the regular podcast schedule. Um, I'll be gone at the end of July for a bit. Yeah, but it's not long-term, right? Well, not long-term, but that's something to to schedule on yeah but it's not the two to three weeks that happens usually exactly yeah so thanks for listening and see you later see you bye